Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to start off with a little food and stuff from Real Simple Magazine. Six ways you can use your expired spices. Sorry to break it to you, but your seasonings are probably way out of season. If you're passionate about cooking, you probably feel a great sense of pride when it comes to your spice collection. But the downside of owning everything from allspice to za'atar is that all spices have an expiration date, and many of them have a shelf life that is much shorter than you think or that you'd wish. Furthermore, when spices expire, they noticeably lose flavor and potency, and their original color begins to fade. If you're getting the most out of your spices, we recommend buying whole spices over ground whenever possible. Because whole spices have less surface area that's exposed to oxygen, the key offender in the spice degradation game, they'll hold on to their flavor longer for for a longer period of time. Another hot tip is to shop for spices at specialty markets or spice stores rather than buying them at your local supermarket. Spices sold at a specialty market may be a bit more expensive, but they'll stay fresher for longer, which will help save you money in the end. It's a good idea to do a spice cabinet sweep every six months to make sure that you're still you're not still utilizing the old stuff. And ensuring that you're cooking with the freshest spices will guarantee that dishes like kebabs or spiced rice with crispy chickpeas are as bold and flavorful as can be. However, before you throw out those old spices in the trash, they're singing the song to me, consider repurposing them. As it turns out, there are many ways to reuse old spices and avoid unnecessary waste. Number one, craft seasonal candles. Who doesn't love a fragrant candle during the fall season? To make your own, melt soy wax, coconut oil, and spices like ginger, cinnamon, clove, and vanilla bean in a double boiler. Then, slowly pour the mixture into a heat-resistant glass retainer like a mason jar. Number two idea, create natural dyes. If you want to make your own dye, choose colorful spices like turmeric, saffron petals, and paprika, and wrap each one in a cheesecloth separately. Boil a pot of water, Drop one of the bundles into the water and let it simmer for about an hour. Pour in one cup of white vinegar into the colored water and then place the fabric you wish to dye in the pot and let simmer for about 30 minutes. Wring your garment out and let it hang to dry. Number three, keep insects away. Yes, you can repel little critters with your spice cabinet rejects because bugs and insects hate the scent of certain spices. Make sachets using dried basil, bay leaves, dill, lavender, rosemary, garlic, or thyme, and place them in areas where bugs like to congregate. Number four, make a potpourri. Heating spices helps express their aroma and transform them into ace potpourri material. To make your own potpourri, boil a pot of water and add ginger, cardamom, cinnamon, or cloves. You can also throw in citrus peels too. Number five, 
Craft your own bar soap. Spices smell wonderful in DIY soap. The granular bits will act as a natural exfoliant. Number six, make spice sachets. Many spices like sage, thyme, and oregano have natural deodorizing effects. Pour them into a small sachet and hang them in the musty areas of your home, like the basement or garage, to freshen up the space. Well, thanks for that. Realsimple.com Next, we're going to go for a recipe from Eating Well for Chicken and Spinach Skillet Pasta with Lemon and Parmesan. This one-pan chicken pasta combines lean chicken breast and sautéed spinach for one bowl meal that's garlicky, lemony, and best served with a little parm on top. I call it Mom's Skillet Pasta, and she called it Devin's Favorite Pasta. Either way, it's a quick and easy weeknight dinner we created together and scribbled on a little recipe card more than a decade ago, and it remains in my weekly dinner rotation to this day. It's a simpler dinner that the whole family will love. So, how to make chicken and spinach skillet pasta with lemon and parmesan? This chicken pasta dinner is a family-friendly weeknight favorite. Made in just one skillet, cleanup is a breeze. You're going to first start the pasta. Now, to get this dinner on the table fast, you're going to get that pasta cooking first. We call for penne pasta, but any shape will work. If you have a gluten sensitivity, gluten-free pasta works well here. If not, using whole wheat pasta will give you a boost of fiber without taking away from the flavor of the dish. Make sure not to overcook the pasta, which can make the dish mushy at the end. Next, you're going to cook the chicken. So while the pasta cooks, start the chicken. You will want a high-sided skillet here or a large pot big enough to hold all of the ingredients. You can use chicken breasts or chicken thighs in this recipe. Chicken breasts is the better choice if you want a leaner dish with less trimming, but chicken thighs offer a meatier flavor, but usually need to be trimmed. Make sure that the pieces are cut about the same size so that they cook evenly. Next, you're going to finish the dish. Once the chicken is cooked through, you finish the dish by making the sauce. Garlic adds a savory baseline flavor, and wine and lemon juice and zest are added to make the sauce bright and tangy. Bringing the sauce to a simmer helps meld the flavors and gets the pan hot enough to rewarm the pasta and wilt the spinach, which is added at the end. This dish is at its best served right away, sprinkled with Parmesan cheese. Enjoy. So for this, you're gonna need eight ounces of gluten-free penny pasta or whole wheat penne pasta, two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, one pound of boneless, skinless, skinless chicken breasts or thighs, your preference, trimmed, if necessary, and cut into bite-sized pieces, one half teaspoon salt, one quarter teaspoon ground pepper, four cloves of garlic minced, one half cup of dry white wine, juice and the zest of one lemon, 10 cups of chopped fresh spinach, four tablespoons of grated Parmesan cheese divided. For step one, you're gonna cook the pasta according to the package directions and then drain and set aside. 
Step two, meanwhile, you're going to heat oil in a large high-sided skillet over medium-high heat. Add the chicken, salt, and pepper. Cook, stirring occasionally until just cooked through, five to seven minutes. Add garlic and cook, stirring until fragrant, about one minute. Stir in wine, lemon juice, and zest, and bring to a simmer. Step three, remove from heat. Stir in the spinach and the cooked pasta. Cover and let stand until the spinach is just wilted. Divide among four plates and top each serving with one tablespoon of Parmesan. That sounds super good. So good, in fact, we're going to have another recipe from Eating Well. This one for roasted garlic Parmesan cabbage. Now, I'm a big cabbage fan. A lot of people probably don't think that much of cabbage. I don't know what it is about it. I know it's very healthy for us, so let's give this one a try because it looks like they've... um, Um, baked some of the uh, cabbage and I think that'll bring out some of the yummy flavor. So cabbage gets transformed in the oven with garlic, parmesan, and olive oil in this simple vegetable side. This irresistible side dish would make a welcome addition to any meal so you can try serving it alongside chicken or steak. For the ingredients you'll need one half of a large head of red or green cabbage, your choice, six tablespoons of grated Parmesan cheese, plus more for garnish, four medium cloves of garlic, finely chopped or grated, three tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, three tablespoons of rice vinegar, one tablespoon of reduced sodium soy sauce, one half teaspoon salt, one quarter teaspoon of crushed red pepper flakes. These are optional. So first you're going to preheat the oven to 425 degrees Fahrenheit. You're going to cut the cabbage into eight wedges about one inch wide and keeping the core intact. Next, you're going to combine the Parmesan, garlic, oil, vinegar, soy sauce, and salt in a small bowl. Arrange the cabbage wedges cut side down on a large rimmed baking sheet. Brush all sides of the cabbage with the garlic Parmesan mixture and then roast until the edges are golden brown about 20 minutes. Flip and roast until the cabbage is tender and golden, about 10 minutes more, and then garnish with crushed red pepper and or Parmesan if desired. That sounds super good to me. I don't know what it is about cabbage. I just love it. Next, we are going to have a recipe for one pot garlicky shrimp and broccoli. This is a really beautiful one, folks. I'm looking at the picture of these shrimp next to the green, you know, this kind of, you know, shrimpy color shrimp, and right next to the green of the broccoli and the red peppers and just really vibrant dish. Shrimp cooks quickly in this easy one pot recipe, making it perfect for busy weeknights. You're going to serve over whole grains or rice, up to you. The ingredients for this one, you're going to need three tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, divided, six medium cloves of garlic, sliced and divided, four cups of small broccoli florets, one half cup of diced red bell pepper, one half teaspoon of salt, divided, one half teaspoon of ground pepper, divided, one pound of peeled and deveined raw shrimp, that's 21 to 30 count, two teaspoons of lemon juice, plus more to taste, 
First, you're going to heat two tablespoons of oil in a large saucepan over medium heat. Add half the garlic and cook until beginning to brown about one minute. Add the broccoli, bell pepper, and one quarter teaspoon each of salt and pepper. Cover and cook, stirring once or twice, and adding one tablespoon of water if the pot is too dry until the vegetables are tender three to five minutes. Transfer to a bowl and keep warm. For step two, we're going to increase the heat to medium-high and add the remaining one tablespoon of oil to the pot. Add the remaining garlic and cook until beginning to brown about one minute. Add shrimp and the remaining one quarter teaspoon each of salt and pepper. Cook, stirring until the shrimp are just cooked through enough, three to five minutes, and then return the broccoli mixture to the pot along with the lemon juice and stir it to combine. That sounds amazing. If I hadn't eaten dinner already, (laughs) I would have it. So next one is for apple dumplings. This one back to smittenkitchen.com. The Smitten Kitchen cookbook, which was my first cookbook, turns 10 years old in a few weeks, and inside it is what I call one of the best summer desserts I've ever made, peach dumplings with bourbon and hard sauce. These were a whim that occurred to me one morning before dawn when my then baby, and as of 11 years ago, a bar mitzvah, woke up early and lacked interest in going back to sleep, and my mind drifted as it does to things that I'd like to cook. The peach dumplings were modeled on an old-fashioned apple dumplings, and I'm not sure why it took me so long to reverse this process for fall, but now that I have, I don't want to bake anything else. I'm absolutely obsessed with these perfect packets of apple pie. Everything I loved about the peach dumplings is true here too. The crust, unhindered by a heavy filling, expands and flakes like puff pastry. When you cut into each, a trickle of buttery brown sugar caramel floods your plate. And the best part of it is actually the mess. Chunks of spiced baked fruit, buttery layers of dough, and a mingled puddle of juices. And should you like a splash of whiskey with your apple desserts, you're going to swoon over to the next sauce, melting over the sides. So please make these soon. You'll be so glad that you did. So here we go. Apple dumplings. Servings, six times, 45 minutes prep, one to two hours to chill, and 45 minutes to bake. Source, Smitten Kitchen. Here's a video where you can watch me make pie dough, and there's a link on smittenkitchen.com. What apples are good to bake with? Well, King King Arthur has a guide here, and there's also a link for that. But I'd say anything fresh and crisp is good here. There are more forgiving than a full-sized pie or crisp. I'm using here my forever favorite white baking dish. I have three and have have told friends not to return them and buy another because I think everyone needs one. You can find some shopping links to it and most items I use regularly on the shop page. Yet again, one more link. So for the crust, you'll need two and a half cups of all-purpose flour, one tablespoon of granulated sugar, one teaspoon of fine sea or table salt, one cup 
um, unsalted butter, very cold, and about one and a half cup of cold water. For the filling, you'll need three large apples, about three inches across, any kind you like to bake with. You'll need a half a lemon, one half cup of light or dark brown sugar, one quarter teaspoon of ground cinnamon, a few garnishings of nutmeg or a couple pinches of ground um, nutmeg, pinch of salt, one tablespoon of butter cut into six pieces, keep it cold, one large egg for the glaze. For the sauce, you'll need two tablespoons of butter at room temperature, one third cup of powdered sugar, one tablespoon of whiskey, milk, or lemon juice, a dash of vanilla extract, and this is optional. To make the crust by hand, in a large bowl, you're going to combine the flour, salt, and sugar. Work the butter into the flour with your fingertips or a pastry blender until the mixture resembles a coarse meal, and the largest bits of butter are the size of any of tiny peas. Some people like to do this by freezing the stick of butter and coarsely grating it on into the flour, but I haven't found that this results are as flaky. So anyway, add cold water you and stir with a spoon or flexible silicone spatula until large clumps form. Use your hands to knead the dough together right in the bottom of the bowl. If necessary, to bring the dough together, you can add another tablespoon of water. So with a food processor, in the work bowl of the food processor, you're going to combine the flour, salt, and sugar, and then add butter and pulse the machine until the mixture resembles a coarse meal, and the largest bits of butter are just the size of tiny peas. Turn the mixture out into the mixing bowl, add cold water, and stir with a spoon or flexible spatula until large clumps form. Use your hands to knead the dough together right in the bottom of the bowl and if necessary to bring it together you can add the last tablespoon of water. For both methods you're going to wrap the dough in a sheet of plastic wrap and refrigerate for at least one hour or up to 48 hours or you can quick firm this in the freezer for 15 to 20 minutes and longer than two days it's best to freeze and uh, freeze it until it's needed. So you're going to heat your oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit. Assemble the dumplings. You're going to peel and have your apples. You're going to use the large size of a melon baller if you have one, or a tablespoon measuring spoon to scoop the core out of each half. And then squeeze the juice um, of a half a lemon over the apples. And in a small bowl, combine the brown sugar, cinnamon, nutmeg, and salt. Move a heaped tablespoon of the mixture in the scooped out center of each apple half and dot the top of each with a piece of the cold butter. On a well-floured counter, you're going to roll your dough out to a 12 by 18 inch rectangle and divide it into 6 inch squares. If dough gets too soft or warm while you're rolling it, you're going to continue to the square stage, but then transfer the squares to a parchment lined baking sheet and chill them in the freezer for a couple minutes until they're semi-firm again. Then you're going to place a filled apple half cut side up in the center of each dough square. Bring the corners up to meet each other over the center 
And if it feels tight or as if you're short of dough, make sure that the dough underneath is flush with the apple curve. It holds a lot of slack and seal the seams together, pinching with your fingertips. Next, bake the dumplings. Arrange the dumplings in a buttered nine by 12 inch baking dish. Whisk egg together with one teaspoon of water to form a glaze. And then you're gonna brush the glaze over the tops and expose sides of the dumplings. Bake for 40 to 45 minutes until the pastries are puffed and bronzed on top. To finish and serve, while the dumplings bake, you're gonna beat butter, the powdered sugar, and whiskey, lemon juice, or milk together with vanilla until smooth. When dumplings come out of the oven, dollop each with a heaping tablespoon of the sauces, which will melt over the sides and serve right away. So we've got a recipe from goop.com for vegan queso. Now, faking cheese, both its flavor and texture, can be tough. This recipe does a really good job of capturing cheese's essence without any weird gums or additives. Enjoy it warm with tortilla chips or go fully loaded by adding salsa, guacamole, and cooked sorizo on top just before serving. Uh, this is going to serve four to six. You're going to need one russet potato peeled and cut into one inch pieces, one carrot peeled and cut into one inch pieces, one cup of raw cashews, one quarter cup of um, plus two tablespoons of nutritional yeast, one tablespoon of white miso, two tablespoons of olive oil, one small onion diced. It's about three quarters of a cup, four cloves of garlic minced, one jalapeno minced with seeds and ribs removed if you prefer less heat. One teaspoon of kosher salt, one teaspoon of ground cumin, one half teaspoon turmeric, and one quarter teaspoon of cayenne pepper, and one half teaspoon of paprika, and two four ounce cans of green chilies. First, you're going to combine the potatoes and carrots in a small saucepan and cover with water and then bring to a boil over high heat. Cook until fork tender about 30 minutes. And while the potatoes and carrots cook, you're gonna cover the raw cashews in boiling water and let them sit for about 30 minutes. And while the cashews soak, cook the onion mixture. You're gonna heat the olive, over, olive oil over medium heat and then add the onion, garlic, and jalapeno. Once they're fragrant and translucent, it'll be about seven minutes of cooking. Add the spices and chilies and let cook for another five minutes. And then turn off the heat and set aside. So once the potatoes and carrots are cooked and the cashews have finished soaking, drain everything and add to a powerful blender. Add the miso and nutritional yeast and blend on low to combine, slowly adding water as needed. About three quarters of a cup should do, but add more or less as needed. It's easier to thin it out than to thicken it back up. So once things start moving along in the blender, you can turn the speed up to high and blitz it until the mixture is completely creamy and smooth. You're looking for a thick nacho cheesy texture here. Then you're gonna add the cheese mixture to the unmixture, onion mixture, turn the heat on, and bring it to a gentle simmer and taste and adjust for seasoning 
with salt and cayenne and serve warm with chips. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.